The scripture reading this morning will be from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 33. Matthew 25, 31 to 33. And that's on page 974 of the Pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. One of my favorite stories of all time is about Albert Einstein, and I believe I've told it here once before, but I want to share it again this morning. He was boarding a train from, uh, in Princeton, New Jersey and traveling to a, a, a conference or a speaking engagement somewhere. And a few miles down the track, the conductor came through the uh, cars of the train to collect the tickets of the passengers. And when he arrived at the great scientist, Dr. Einstein couldn't find his ticket. He felt around in his coat pockets. He felt around in his pant pockets. He checked the seat beside him. He opened his briefcase. He just could not find his ticket. And finally, the conductor just said, It's okay, Mr. Einstein. I know who you are. I'm certain you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. And the conductor went on through, the, the car, through that particular car, checking tickets of other passengers. And he just happened to look over his shoulder a little bit later. And he noticed Dr. Einstein down on his hands and knees underneath the seat looking for his ticket. And so the conductor ran back there to where Dr. Einstein was and said, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, don't worry about it. I know who you are. We, we all know who you are. I'm certain you bought a ticket. I don't need to see it. And Dr. Einstein looked at the man and said, Sir, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I am going. <laughs> I begin with that today because we introduced a new series last week, a series called Foresight. It's a study of the afterlife. And the one question we really have to ask ourselves is, do we know where we're going? You see, the world, the world operates with a mindset that isn't concerned about the life after this one. In fact, from the world's standpoint, when it comes to what happens after this life, they ascribe extinction. The world believes that after this life is over, all you do is go into extinction, that there's nothing that comes next. But the Bible says differently. You can go to Hebrews, to the book of Hebrews, and notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. It says, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Now, that's not new information in Scripture. Jesus had told many parables in which he indicated that the next life would be inaugurated by a universal judgment. And it's at that judgment day that you find out where you are going. 
this morning, as we continue this study of the afterlife, before we can really dive into the specifics of what Scripture has to say about heaven, we first have to acknowledge that there is a day on which judgment will be meted out first. Before you go to your final destination, you have to face judgment. And that's what I want us to focus on this morning. See, the Bible indicates that a day is coming when God, through Christ, will judge our lives and decide our eternal future. And Paul describes it this way. Look at what Paul says, Romans chapter 2. Look at how Paul describes it in verses five or verses six through eight. Romans chapter two, verses six through eight. He describes the day of judgment as a day on which God will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. See, throughout Scripture, the day of judgment is depicted as the day on which God will hear the case of our lives, pronounce a verdict, and either welcome us into heaven or condemn us to hell. It's that plain and simple in Scripture. But I want to talk about that day for just a moment. I want us to be aware of what we need to know about that day right now. And here's what you need to know about that day. You need to know that the day of judgment will be unexpected. The day of judgment will be unexpected. Twice in the New Testament, we're told that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. You can find that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 2. You can also find it. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. The point being made by both of those inspired authors is that the day on which judgment will be meted out is an unknown day, an unexpected day. And they're not the first to say this. Back in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus in the midst of some parables, or in the, in the section where Jesus will start uh, pronouncing some parables related to the judgment day, he's posed a couple of questions by his disciples. His, he's exiting the temple in Matthew chapter 24 in the first two verses, and he points out that the physical building of the temple will not be left here. One stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And when they arrived at the Mount of Olives, after hearing him talk about the temple that way, his disciples had some follow-up questions for him. So in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3, they approached him and asked two different questions that are sometimes confused as one question because they're joined together with the conjunction and. But if you look at Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3, you can see quite clearly there are two questions. First, they asked about the destruction of the temple. They said, when will these things be? When will it occur that these these stones will not be left on top of one another? When will the destruction of this temple that's prophesied in verse 1, when will that take place? 
And question two, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Their second question is an eschatological question, meaning it's a question about the end time, not just the time of the destruction of the temple. And Jesus spent verse 4 through verse 35 of Matthew chapter 24 answering the question about the destruction of the temple. Then he transitioned to answer the question about his second coming in verse 36. And that's evidenced by the insertion of this word, but. Right there at the start of verse 36, but. That indicates a change of thought. It's a change of thought because he's answering the second question now. So in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 36, in response to the question, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age, Jesus said, Concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So Jesus clearly taught that this day is an unknown day. And because it is an unknown day, it's going to be an unexpected day at least in the sense that we're not going to know when it will come. After Jesus spoke about the secrecy of this day, he then made a comparison between his return and the flood. Look at what he said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 37. He said, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, how are the two going to be similar? Pick up the reading in verse 38, Matthew chapter 24. In those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. His point is that his return will be unexpected, just like the flood was unexpected. To everyone who was swept up in it, everyone except Noah and his family. Things will continue on as normal, then all of a sudden he will return, and some people are going to be caught off guard by his return. This might just be the most important thing for us to understand about the day of judgment, and it might just be the one thing you knew already, but how does it affect your life? If you know that Christ is returning and you know that it's going to happen at a time that you're not expecting, then how should that affect you right now? The effect should be this, that you live ever ready, that you are in a constant state of preparation and readiness for His return. But I'm afraid that far too often, we grow complacent, assuming that we have just as many days in front of us as there are behind us. We assume that He hasn't come for some 2,000 years, so likely we have another couple thousand years before this day arrives. But that's just the mentality that Jesus is talking about when He compares 
his second coming to the flood. That complacency. And you know what? You jump over to Matthew chapter 25, and the first parable you're going to encounter is a parable about not being ready when the groom arrives. Because it's going to be unexpected. So you need to understand that the day of judgment will be unexpected, and therefore you need to live in a constant state of readiness for that day. But not only will this day be unexpected, here's the other thing. It will be obvious. This day will be obvious. Just a few verses before Paul declared that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, he described what would take place on that day when Christ returns. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, Paul said, The Lord will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now, I have to admit something. I don't know what the voice of an archangel sounds like. Do any of you? I don't know what it sounds like, and you don't know what it sounds like, but I've got a pretty good suspicion that we'll know it when we hear it. You know, it is astonishing to me. Actually, it's not astonishing, but it is uh, important that Scripture declares the return of Christ is going to be accompanied by these audible sounds, by this visible descent. The point of these texts is that when Christ, return, when Christ returns, everybody will know it. Everybody will either see or hear or in some fashion be made aware that Christ is coming back. It's going to be obvious. I especially appreciate the use of the trumpet here because in the Old Testament, God instructed Moses to use a trumpet to sound the advance for the nation of Israel. You can see that in Numbers chapter 10. What that means is that when it was time for Israel to assemble or when it was time for Israel to relocate, to march to their next destination. They had this specific trumpet they would blow, and the number of blows would dictate what they're doing. And so when the trumpet sounded, that meant it was time to go somewhere. And when Christ returns, His return is going to be announced by the blast of a trumpet which indicates it's time to go somewhere. Christ's return is not going to be secretive. Christ's return is not going to go unnoticed by anyone. It will garner the attention of the whole world. Everyone will know when it happens. And it's at that point 
that you're going to be going somewhere. This day, this day will be obvious. And you need to also know that this day will be definitive. If something is definitive, that means it is decisive and final, that it's not going to change. And that's exactly how the day of judgment is depicted in the New Testament. One way we know this day will be definitive is because this world will cease to exist. That's what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. He said, The heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. In other words, Peter indicates that Christ's return on the day of the Lord will not only initiate the final judgment, but it will also initiate the complete destruction of the physical universe. That means this place in which we have lived, in which we have worked, in which our deeds have been done, it's going away. All of this will be burned up. That's pretty definitive. But the other way we know that this day will be definitive is because there will be no opportunity for do-overs. In Luke chapter 16, we have this, this story. I refer to it as a parable, but others do not. It's a highly debated topic as to whether or not it should be classified as a parable. So right now, I'm just going to refer to it as the story of the rich man and Lazarus. In that story, a reference is made to a great chasm that existed between those experiencing paradise and those experiencing torment. And that statement is, excuse me, and the statement is made that there's no movement between the two sides. That implies that these are fixed destinations, that there's no changing where you ended up. That's definitive. And I think about what Paul has to say in the book of 1 Corinthians about our bodies. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as Paul writes about this day, particularly the resurrection aspect of this final day, the last day, the day of the Lord, the day of judgment. As Paul writes about the resurrection aspect of this day, he says, we shall all be changed because this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. And so before we stand before the throne of Christ to be judged, we have to acknowledge that we will no longer be in the body we had while on this earth. Now why does that matter? Consider what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 about the judgment seat of Christ. Paul says we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that 
each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. What that means is, when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, what's going to be examined is what you did while you existed in this perishable, mortal body. What you did in this lifetime. When Christ comes back, and He descends from heaven, and these bodies are resurrected, not these particular bodies, because these are perishable and mortal. But as we are resurrected, to be more correct and precise with my terminology, we're not carrying with us the body in which our deeds were done, which indicates we cannot do any more deeds in preparation for that day. Our decisions, our conduct, it's final before that day. We're on that day. See, this day is definitive. There's no going back and correcting. There's no do-overs. There's no second chances. Video games have ruined a great many of us. Because if you're just having a bad game, hit that restart button. Your computer won't boot up correctly? Just power it down and restart it. Your phone is messing up? You can do a complete restart of that phone. Restore system settings and start all over again. That option's not available when you arrive at the day of judgment. This day is definitive. It's final. No do-overs. See, we focus, or excuse me, we are more aware of the fact that this day is going to be unexpected and it's going to be obvious than we usually are that it's going to be definitive. Right now is all we have to prepare for that day. In fact, because this day is unexpected, we don't even know if we've got till the end of this sermon before Christ comes back. Right now is legitimately all the time we've got before we face our final destination. And I want you to consider some things not just about that day, but about judgment itself. See, here's the thing about the day of judgment. On the day of judgment, everybody will be judged. Everybody will be judged. Let me remind you of a verse we were just reading a few moments ago, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. In fact, please turn there with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, because there is one very important word in this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. 
For we must all, that's the key word, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Scripture indicates that every human being has a court date in the future. Paul is saying that judgment awaits everyone. There will be no excused absences. There will be no postponements. Because when Jesus returns, judgment follows. Back when I was a minister in Florida, I had a young man who went through my youth ministry time there, and as he entered adulthood and I transitioned to public ministry, he, he, he got into a little bit of trouble with the law. He had a few court dates that he had to appear at, and I chose to go with his grandmother and be there at those court appearances, hoping to be a source of encouragement to him. And I was amazed. We would go to this court appearance, and they would postpone any decisions until that court appearance. And we kept hopping to court appearance and court appearance, and I just thought to myself, this is the most Oh, I can't think of the term. Dramatic pause. Hold on one second. It wasn't a very useful system in the sense that it wasn't very uh, practical on its timing. We, there was a year's worth of legal proceedings most of which they would just say, okay, we'll, we'll handle that next time. That's not going to be the case on the Day of Judgment. You're not going to stand before Christ and hear him say, well, hey, we'll just, we'll come back to this at another day. There's no postponements. You know what else? Raise your hand if you've gotten out of jury duty before. Raise your hand if you got out of it for an illegal means. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. There are legitimate reasons to get out of jury duty. Now, I've only been called to jury duty one time. I went to the court. I sat there in that room waiting for them to call me to a, a, to a particular case. They never called me. After one hour, they sent me home. I fully believe they saw what I do for a living on the little questionnaire you have to fill out, and they said, nope, we don't want him. Meanwhile, they take the teacher that's married to me, and they want her there every time. You know what the other thing about this day is? Everyone will be judged. There will be no postponements, and there will be no excused absences. You can't get out of this one. You will face the judge. You don't have a choice because you're not in control. And look at what, going back to our scripture reading in Matthew chapter 25, look at verses 31 through 33 once again and see what's going to happen before this judge. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. This statement is a reference to the final judgment that every individual's eternal destination will be determined at. And as this parable unfolds, we learn that every person who has ever lived 
will receive either eternal punishment like the goats or eternal life like the sheep. Jesus made it very simple and very plain. All will be judged. No one can escape it. And where each person will spend eternity is up to them. Now, while the fact that everybody will be judged may seem to be a bit of a downer, there is some good news here. And that good news is the fact that anybody who accepts Jesus will be welcomed into heaven. Heaven comes with the most inclusive invitation because anyone can go there, but heaven also comes with the most exclusive invitation because there's only one way to get there. In John chapter 6 and verse 40, Jesus said, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone, there's that all-inclusive terminology, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Heaven comes with the most inclusive invitation because the invitation is sent to everyone. No one, not a soul, is excluded from this invitation. All are welcome in the kingdom of heaven if they enter it on his terms. Jesus also said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, Jesus indicated that one's eternal destination hinges on his or her relationship with him. As a result, heaven comes with an exclusive invitation because you have to accept it on Christ's terms. There's no alternative route. So it's the most inclusive invitation because anyone can accept it. But it's simultaneously the most exclusive invitation because there's only one way to accept it. As Peter said in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Now I want you to understand something. Accepting Jesus on his terms is not just a matter of faith. It's a matter of faith and action. John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's your belief component. But as Ben talked about in a recent Wednesday night class study on the book of Hebrews, actually I believe it was this past Wednesday night, Hebrews chapter 11, you look at all these heroes of faith. Right after we're told that it's impossible to please God absent faith, you have this list of faith heroes, and every one of them acted. Abel offered. Abraham, oh, I've already forgotten. I had these memorized before I came here today. You have all these lists of heroes in Hebrews chapter 11. You will find a verb attached to every one of them because every one of them acted on faith. When we consider the terms and conditions of salvation that Christ has laid out for us, those terms and conditions include 
not just believing, but confessing that belief, as Romans chapter 10 points out. They include repenting of our sins, as Brother Clower talked about in our communion remarks, that turning away from Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. And of course, those terms and conditions also include being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, as Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 also indicates. Anyone who accepts Jesus on his terms will be welcomed into heaven. That's the good news. The good news is that when you are judged, when you face that day, you don't have to be a goat. That's good news. However, it must be acknowledged that Jesus clearly indicated that not everyone will be welcomed into heaven. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So the question we have to ask is what happens to those who do not enter the kingdom of heaven? And that leads us to the third truth about the day of judgment. That on the day of judgment, nobody who rejects Jesus will escape punishment in hell. I mentioned earlier, or at least referenced earlier, that Jesus had several parables in which he talked about the day of judgment. The parable of the wheat and weeds in Matthew chapter 13. The parable of the good fish and the bad fish in, also in Matthew chapter 13. The parable of the wise and foolish virgins in Matthew 25. And the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25. All of these parables depict a universal judgment, a separation that occurs between two different entities. Wheat is separated from weeds. Good fish separated from bad fish. Wise virgins separated from foolish virgins. Sheep separated from goats. All of those parables that Jesus told depict a separation. And after those two groups are separated, one group was always punished. So, for example, the weeds were separated from the wheat and then burned. The bad fish was separated from the good fish and then thrown away. The foolish virgins were separated from the wise virgins and they were shut out. The goats were separated from the sheep and sent away to eternal punishment. Such punishments remind us that the day of judgment will not only inaugurate the believer's eternity in heaven, but it will also inaugurate the unbeliever's eternity in hell. At this point, we could talk about what hell will be like, but we're going to save that for a future lesson in this series. The most important thing to know about hell right now is who will be there. And Paul summarized this well in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He said that when Jesus returns, Jesus will inflict vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. So those who will end up in hell are those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel. And the point is, that nobody who rejects Jesus will escape punishment in hell. You don't want to be a nobody. Thus, 
Thus far, we've talked about the fact that everybody will be judged, that anybody who accepts Christ will be welcomed into heaven, and that nobody who rejects Christ will escape punishment in hell. So it seems that we've covered all the possibilities, and technically speaking, that is true. However, I would be amiss if I did not mention the somebodies in this scenario. Because somebody will be surprised by the outcome. Look at Matthew chapter 7 with me, verses 21 through 23. This is a very important text. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus indicated that on the day of judgment, some will be surprised when they are not welcomed into the kingdom. Such was the case for the goats, going back to the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25. The goats who were sent to eternal punishment in that parable were surprised to hear Jesus say, depart from me. This is evident from their immediate response. You can read in verse 44 of Matthew 25. They asked, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? that response reveals that they were not expecting to be condemned. In like manner, some who will incur eternal punishment will be surprised because they assumed they would receive everlasting life. Somebody will be surprised by their destination. Will that somebody be you? There's a statue of Columbus in Spain in the city where he died. And on the statue there is this phrase, non plus ultra. It's a Latin phrase. It means no more beyond. Now you need to understand something about the country of Spain for just a moment. Non plus ultra, or no more beyond, used to be the motto of Spain. You see, it was believed that the Straits of Gibraltar was the end of the world, the end of inhabited earth. And Spain prided itself on being that western edge of the known world. But when Christopher Columbus sailed across the Atlantic Ocean and discovered more world. Non plus ultra no longer made sense. So on that statue of Christopher Columbus in Spain, where it says non plus ultra, no more beyond, there's a lion eating the word for no. 
because Columbus proved that there was, in fact, more beyond Spain. When Jesus rose from the grave, he did the exact same thing. He showed us that there is more beyond this life. The world doesn't believe that. But the Bible clearly teaches it. And it's a sobering reality because we have to accept that everybody will be judged. That nobody who rejects Jesus will escape hell. That anybody who accepts Jesus will be welcomed into heaven. And that some of us are going to be surprised. But here's the beauty. You just sat through the past, oh, 40 minutes of me talking about this. Some of you are still awake at this point. So those of you who are still awake at this point, guess what? You can still do something about it. There is more beyond. So what are you going to do? We don't know when Christ is going to return, but we will know it when we see it. So are you ready to see that day? Right now is your opportunity to get ready. If you need to respond to this invitation to make sure you're ready for that great day of judgment so that you won't be a nobody or a somebody, but instead you will be an anybody, then won't you make a decision right now to do whatever you need to do to make things right with him? Won't you come while together we stand and sing? Oh.